Dark Tales presents Spelljammer, Light of Xerixis. Hello, everyone, and welcome back for how to run chapter one, two, and three of Spelljammer, Light of Xerixis, also known as part one, Seeds of Destruction. Uh, I am your Dungeon Master Kelly, and uh, joining me today are the majority of our cast members. Uh, Amy is having some internet trouble, uh, so they are going to try to fix that while we are doing this. Um, thank you so much for tuning into this episode where we're going to discuss how this episode, uh, pardon me, how these parts work as well as what you can do to make it run a little more smoothly. Um, so, uh, let's introduce ourselves real first. So, like I said, I'm your Dungeon Master Kelly, he and him, and I'm very excited to be here to break down this module because I have a lot of things to say about it. Um, like I said, Amy's not here, so let's pass over to Krista. How you doing? I wasn't prepared. I was muted. I was eating chips and didn't want to crunch in everybody's ears. I Hi, hello. Just share your chips. Would, would you like some? I would love. Some, I would. I would. I would not like some, to be honest. But um. <laughs> they're they're okay. I found them in my grandma's cupboard. We're we're working with what we got. Um, hi, I'm Krista. I use they, them, or she, her pronouns. I'm currently staying in my grandmother's house and right in their cupboards. Um, I play Francis. Uh, Francis Ponsby, our uh, gender fluid GIF cleric of zeal. Oof. I was just thinking about gender fluid getting spilled in the last game. There was a lot of crunching. Uh, <laughs> all right, let's pass it down to Michael. Hey, Michael, how's it going? Oh, it's good. Uh, the bath that bathroom break was fantastic because I got what? to go and uh, refresh my beverage. So, uh, Ooh, fancy. I, I run. I'm I'm still me, Michael. I'm still going with he him pronouns, and I'm still playing Rec Felnar, the the awesome monk, and ooh, a penny. All the day, your enemies will have bad luck if you pick that up. Mm hmm. So I just saw on stream massive moosh for a moment. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I, was, yeah, I, I clicked. Ginormous. I clicked uh, do not show and <laughs> the then. Slime would I like guess to, I... to, to rage. Yeah. It's slime time, baby. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, wonderful to have everybody here. There we go. Now Mool is in frame since Amy cannot be. Um, all right. Good to have you with us, Mike. Uh, let's pass over to Millie. Oh, cripes. Hi. Um, I'm Sylvie Millie. I continue to play Tana Starbell, Disaster Princess, Astral of Exile turns additional disaster. Um, my hoedown pronouns are they and them, or she and her, and I love you a lot. Hi. Oh, I love you too. Uh, and let's pass finally over to Kat. Hey everyone, I am Kat and I'm still using she, her pronouns. And in game, I play Cheshire the Glitchling Druid. Ooh, fantastic. She doesn't look, she looks, she looks druish. Yeah, she's something. <laughs> All right. Uh, so uh, today we are going to be talking about um, how to run chapter one. How are you, how are you all enjoying Light of Xerxes so far? It's a lot of fun. It's a lot different. How so? It's How do you find it? I think it's really interesting. Like it, it, it feels like what we discussed earlier. The modules all feel very loose, mm -hmm. and like there's a couple of things that happen. Do with that what you will. And I, I kind of think that's you know that's really neat actually. But I, I can feel that may not be what everyone's looking for in a in you know in an adventure. This is... this one having having being oh, in Nether. Thank you for right all those now, subs. Oh, Sorry. thanks. No, um, 
<laughs> Everyone. It's, it's become a competition. Dare um, one up them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, having having just gone through Wild Beyond the Witchlight and having been in Netherdeep, this one actually feels like tight. Like this feels like almost on the rails, which is kind of nice, honestly. Um, it feels a lot. I guess it is a, a recreation, right? Of a of an old module. Is that what this no, is? No, it's not. It's not. It's a brand new oh, one, it's but it's it's the okay. revival of Spelljammer in general. Yeah, it, it definitely has a vibe of that more, that less sandboxy, more like, here's the thing to do, and there's not really a ton of else to do. It's like, this is the person you need to see, go see this person. Okay, they've done this for you. This is the fight you're in, go see this person. Mm. It feels a lot more like that, which, which is kind of a nice break, honestly, and I feel like would be a good module for introductory players and a DM. There is so much room to dick around in this, just to put it bluntly, mm -hmm. that like, because I'm, I'm going to show you a secret, okay? So mind you, we are doing a How to Run episode, so there are going to be some spoilers if you are trying to not be spoiler for chapters one, two, and three, um, basically until you get to the Rock of Brawl, maybe tune off until you can play through the game with your Dungeon Master. Send them over here to watch this if you want to give them some advice. We'll try to be funny, so even if they don't necessarily like need the help, they might enjoy it. Um, or... If they're anything like me, they'll want to commiserate some of the things about the module. I want to show you this. So this is chapter one, Astral Rain, okay? Aside from this great splash page, this is the entire first bit, the first, the entire first session from the moment that you start in whatever town you start in until you fly away. Ready? Okay. Page one, page two, page three. That's it. That's it. That's the entire first five hours of game potentially it literally is just you show up the crystals grow you fight a bunch of blights and then you deal with the trouble at the docks and then you're done chapter two aboard the star moth you meet people you talk to them and we're on page one page two page three page four and that's when the mind player ship shows up that's it. That entire thing between flying off, fighting the astral elves, and uh, thank you for all of the subs and biddies. Thank you. You're amazing. Um, and then the next one, uh, the treacherous salvage is page one, page two, page three, page four. Oh no, I thought there was more. And look at this. Out of these four pages, there's a half page wall, uh, half page splash, and a half page splash. This is only three pages of stuff. I want to show you something. Okay, that I think is very important, uh, and I don't have it near me, but let's just put it this way. The same yeah. amount of, of game time in Wild Beyond the Witchlight is six to ten pages worth of stuff. Like the same, mm. like they, for, for a single session, they really, really push that. And so far, do you like this? Because it means that like to fill a full three, three and a half hour slot on uh, running this as a stream, we have to vamp a lot. Like we have to like wing it a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you, do you like that? Yeah. I mean, I mean it, as a player, absolutely. Yeah. It's kind of mm -hmm. nice. I feel like it, it's a big, it's a big advantage of uh, a module structure like this. Cause I, I'm looking at that going, you know, if I was planning a, a module myself, I don't think I would write more than three pages for a session. It's going to mm -hmm. have the, the important pieces, the setting information, information on the characters, mm -hmm. like an overall plan of what you're supposed to do, but I'm going to leave a bunch of blanks in it. And it feels like they don't have a lot of overall what you're going to do. Uh, it, it might be nice to have more more like things marked down for options on that. But it is it is quite nice to have such a, a flexible kind of thing where it's like, here are the highlights of this session. Hmm. Uh, go faff about and get there eventually. 
Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I really feel like like one of my favorite aspects of this is because it's so lightly written, mm. it really gives a lot of opportunity for uh, A, you as a DM and B, us as players to really just have fun with it rather than be railroaded into something that the book is telling us to do, which I mean, we don't really railroad things anyways here, mm. okay. but it, it really doesn't um, like it really <clears throat> leaves a lot of space for just fun and i think kind of enhances a you know rule of cool over hard fast rules in the book i think i think you're actually touching on something there so with spell jammer there has been a huge outcry for one because of the hadazi stuff and how it's kind of like racially toned we're not going to really touch on that um i would suggest if if that part of the game bothers you just take the revisions and write it out like just just allow it to be written mm -hmm. out uh that and i think we can all say for those of us who i know a lot of people who play the game don't care about that stuff those of us who do care can say "Ooh, that was a big oof that was a that was a yeah, big oof." I, I i cannot believe that made it through right the the supposed inclusion teams that they're supposed to have like crap. yeah that was wild right mm, so oh, i mean uh, let's 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 say big oof and move on on that one and, for, and if you if you are confused and if you are confused about this and don't know what we're talking about mm. many more better educated people on this and people that have said it very well and very succinctly and very drawn out. So go, go take a boo and, and read some stuff. The, 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 the one sentence version is the, how does he are quite coded to certain uh, real life races? And it just seems kind of, uh, so yeah. go look that up if that, if that's something you're interested in, but there, there's been a lot of outcry against spell jammer. Cause I think a lot of people are frustrated that it seems like the rules were dumbed down. I look at that as as a more cinematic player and and DM versus a more crunch one, like a, a crunchier DM. And I think that the the evaporation of a lot of the crunch, like it seems like it's been boiled down to a nice easy system with a lot of hand waving. Like I really dislike running sci-fi games a lot of the time because it comes down to such minutia and such technical minutia that if I'm doing like 50 things at once, it's really easy to be blindsided with a, well, actually the quantum drive works like this in these situations, you fool, by a, by, by a snarky player. And I'm like, bruh, I'm coming up with voices for 16 players. It's it, me. It's you. It's <laughs> a snarky player. But it's, it's like... It's it's difficult to keep that much running and to remember like that much minutia while still trying to portray the correct emotion and and like the atmosphere, right? And yeah, I'm not saying that every DM has, you know, had to do that or that that you can't be a DM who does all does it all. But I don't think you need those rules for a fantasy-based sci-fi adjacent story. I think that saying that like, oh, you know, you have this much air ballpark is much better. Well, and I, I was just gonna say, I feel like that that is a bit of a complaint about 5e in general from older players, not mm -hmm. older players, but players that have been playing for a long time. Like even me, like, you know, I was upset yeah. that they got rid of the five foot step. There was a, I, I hate the, I, I hate proficiency bonus, but like, I understand that it's like, well, no, it was being designed to be a lot more accessible and it's 
too super more accessible and i love that and i think that's really really good to bring more people in to the world and i think if if streamlining it is a way to get more people interested and involved and then maybe they discover they do want more crunch they can go find three five or two or freaking first edition right like don't, they don't. can or you go go play riffs or or something Pat, nobody wants right? to play riffs I played a Pathfinder 2E game yesterday and I was living. I was so stoked about living it. Living your best life. You want to run Pathfinder on the channel? You come back and you you learn Pathfinder and you do all my math yes. for me and we'll talk. Yes. Whereas yes. like for, for someone like me, I'm a very not crunchy player where, you know, it's like I I function way better in a, you know, like this works because it's fun and cool. Uh, and less because of oh on that roll you need to you need to minus this add that uh, divide it by the quantum physics of zero oh, yes, and of then you miss exactly <laughs> well and, and our like our DM yesterday was saying they're the two games they run are Pathfinder and Monster of the Week yeah like, Monster of the Week Powered by the Apocalypse I, I feel like this DM and I are really going to get along because that's my jam <laughs> I like 5e, but I I honestly prefer Pathfinder over it, and I will almost never run Pathfinder because it's crunchy. It's it's that's the thing, the difference between playing. But anyway, I think that there was a lot of complaints about this because they have taken a lot of things out of this. So honestly, I encourage you to embrace it. I think that in particular, if your play style fits theatrical play over tabletop with miniatures and real crunch play, there's and I'm not saying that one's better than the other. It is, I I have, I mean, Millie, you gave me like four boxes of Pathfinder tokens to add to the six boxes I have in my closet right now. Like there was back... no escape. I still have like 300 Pathfinder tokens and I moved <laughs> and I, across I, the continent. They just, they're like dog hair. And I've got, yeah, they're like dog hair. I have like 200 minis in my closet right now that I can't use on stream because we don't have the cameras for it. Right? Mm. So there, there's, I'm not saying one is better than the other, but if your game's if you want your games to feel more like Dork Tales or Critical Role or Dimension 20 or something like that, don't worry about the crunch so much and embrace a little bit of the more fluid play style that comes with this. Um, but if you want that crunch, like there are lots of modules that and, and like expansions for this that you can purchase right now on Dungeon Masters Guild, like digital copies of people who rebuilt from scratch all of the crunch from previous editions or play previous editions. They're still there. They're still out there. Yes. Mm -hmm. I, you um, know yeah something i'm curious in your thoughts on kelly is I, I heard a lot about it from some like 5e channels and that sort of thing is for mm. ship combat in Spelljammer. we haven't really done a lot of it okay. uh, and maybe this is a thing that will will come up in, in other chapters but i get the impression that there isn't really much when it comes to ship combat in Spelljammer. do you want me to but run that there are other modules that that do Sure, if you want to run through it. Okay, so Starfinder. <laughs> Starfinder has so much. Well, I, do, we, I don't mean other systems. I mean that there's another 5e module that has ship uh, combat. Yes, there is different ship combat. Um, I think it's a different setup in Ghosts of Saltmarsh ha has it there as well. Um, right, okay. And um, there are a lot of ways to fix that. Um, I believe on YouTube, XP to level 3 did a really good way to fix ship combat in Ghosts of Saltmarsh. So that video, go, go check that out. They're a good channel. Um... So the way that it works is you have starting encounter distance, 250 feet 
or uh, or closer, long range for ballista mangonels, short bows. Uh, 500 feet long range for longbows and mangonels beyond the range of ballistic crossbows, 1,000 feet beyond the range of most weapons, okay? Uh, you roll initiative. Uh, so we use si they encourage side initiative, which is a fantastic thing where it's like you roll initiative, one side goes first, then the other side goes first. It's basically ship A versus ship B rather than player A, player B, enemy A, right? Way better. And I've actually seen a lot of encouragement in various D&D channels recently saying that side-based initiative or opposite initiative is a way to speed up combat. And I'm willing to experiment with that in future games, like especially like homebrew games, where we roll and what you're trying to do is get highest initiative. And then you do tag overs and you're like, okay, your side goes first, then my side goes first. Who from your side goes first? Go. Um, Krista mm -hmm. and I were playing Pugmire over on Onyx Path this morning, by the way, and their system works that whoever has initiative gets to hand the baton to someone else, including an enemy. But if you do not hand it to the enemy until the end of the round, they get to go twice. To make up for cute. it. Oh, yeah. that's so really if, interesting. It's a cute mechanic. Um, so, initiative. You do side initiative. Moving and steering a ship. You use the smell, the spell jamming helm to move and steer without expending their own. Oh, pardon. You have to. You you do not have to expend your own action or movement. Uh, but the problem with that is you, according to the way that I've read this and according to the way that it is presented, cat, you could still like do your own actions and movement, but you couldn't get off of the chair. Yeah, like you have to be in the chair. So unless mm -hmm. you're Professor X and you're like you're hovering around in it, you know, um, you're a little limited. I think you could do sensory spells and things like that from anywhere on the ship. Still, I, it doesn't specifically say you couldn't, but I would allow it. Um, on the ship's on its turn, the ship can be turned and oriented, uh, so that all weapons aim and fire at any target within range, regardless of whether or not of where they're situated on the deck. So. That's kind of cool. So basically the idea is that like if the ship is coming in and like there's a guy down here and up here, the ship will make the adjustments to sh shoot because it's floating in a vacuum. So that's pretty mm -hmm. cool. Uh, boarding when, you th when you're within five feet of another ship, you can, the spell jammer of the moving ship can maneuver it alongside to create a bridge. Okay. Uh, beyond that, that, that's it. Then it's crashing, Cra some crashing rules, uh, ship, and then it goes straight to repair rules. There are okay. we need next session. Which, uh, yeah. By the way, do you want to know how bad I rolled for that? Oh, you rolled badly for that. Your ship is disabled for fifteen days. So you get a long rest. Son of a bitch! I came out of that with four hit points. Oh shit! Oh, like Ooh. you almost knocked Cheshire the heck out right off the bat. So good. <laughs> oh, that so would have been good. amazing. Oh uh, so, God. and then of course, each ship has its own weapon systems and, and things that you can use like ballistas, mangonels. There's also like a bunch of rules on air and gravity. The basic idea is that your gravity plane cuts directly to the center of the ship. So gravity is down when you're on the top part. Gravity is up when you're on the bottom part. Uh, and you have an air envelope that is a, a certain degree away from your ship, about of 100, 180 feet, I think it is. Uh, the air quality gets stuck inside of a place when your air envelopes overlap with each other. Um, uh, they have some very brief rules for what happens if, like, if I'm in an air bubble of toxic gas and you're in an air bubble of sweet, minty baby's breath, uh, there are rules for what happens when our air bubbles interact. Um, okay. Th there are rules for overlapping gravity planes, which are my favorite rules in the entire game. What they are is when you have 
two vessels that come into each other's contact and their gravity planes interact, the one with the more hit points has the gravity plane, which means that if um, if you are are hitting each other, if something causes trouble between you, um, the one with the more hit points overrides the other ship and suppresses it as long as they are in contact. And that is usually like uh, when they are touching. So if you ram another ship, you can cause all of their crew to fly in a weird direction, theoretically. <laughs> Which is great. That Which sounds kind of nice, actually. So I, I get from from that, it feels to me like someone who wanted to take the setting, but not necessarily the adventure, mm-hmm. um, could probably still do, you know, space pirates shooting space cannonball ballistas at other ships and blowing them up and all of that stuff in oh, yeah. this. Mm-hmm. Like, it feels a little bit simplified. I don't know if there's, like, space cover or space terrain, but... I not think really. There's space. You can invent that stuff with advantage and disadvantage just fine. There's space fishing. I do like the space most fishing. I'm, I'm into thing. that. We're probably yeah. about to do a lot of space fishing to not die. <laughs> like uh, there, there's a lot of stuff in here. Well, the problem is as well is that there are a lot of people who are thinking about this a little too literally. Um, wild space and the astral sea is in fact the astral sea, and if you fall overboard in the astral sea you don't need a vessel to travel once you're in the astral sea you can propel itself you can propel yourself by thought alone at a speed of five times your intelligence score oh whoa it's um, awesome it's so good. Yeah. <laughs> See, Krista, Krista knew this and so it was a little metagamey of like i'll jump off a boat why not well but here's the problem <laughs> I, if i'm not mistaken so the way the, it is the astral sea is everything and then wild space systems are bubbles of space yeah. inside so your wild space system might not work that way sure. um so but between the systems once you get outside of the the area of effect there and it's just the wild there's just the astral sea whatever it's cool you know um so yeah hello i uh, got somebody else in the chat who is running spells here from the month and a half so um if you're looking for our versions of the game you can always check our youtube by the way uh youtube.com slash dorktales where you can see past episodes or listen to it on our podcast or watch it on twitch every other sunday but like there's there's a lot of ways to really enjoy this i think that just i can see why people are frustrated it does need a little more crunch i think but not much more and not much i i think that the the major problem with Spelljammer is that you look at it and you see a bunch of things and you assume that you've made a mistake in your reading because you're like well where is that explained and the truth is it's not it's not explained hmm. and you have to fill in the gaps and it's the same with the module itself with with the module being so short in light of xerixis and every episode being three to four pages max. Um, someone in the chat just said um, the drawback to the short chapters is having two weeks to prepare or to repair your ship with no padding to fill the time. And that is true with this. There is no padding between if the character. So I'll give you a quick example. This is from chapter or from part two. This is from today's episode. Okay. So this is a slight spoiler for chapter four. Okay. So you get attacked and your ship likely gets disabled. They do not have a little bit of flavor text for if you win, but your spell jammer succeeds their role. They just don't. They assume that that Hastane is going to die, probably, uh, but that your spell jamming vessel is disabled. 
They just assume mm. it. They don't give you other options. And that is the one thing I don't like about this is that they, they say, well, there's many ways that this could turn out, but then they only give you like the closing flavor text for one of them. So it's, it's like mm. they have their official ending picked out. Right. And they could have just done that for another, another paragraph or two. And I think that that could be really useful. Meanwhile, the defeat option for these is nice because they do, they do supply a defeat option that doesn't have any flavor text. Um, the defeat option for today's game is that Hastane um, takes you captured and destroys the ship. Uh, and, uh, oh no, he doesn't take you, they don't take you captured. They just leave you floating in the wreckage with eight hours of air. Uh, but if it's aesthetic dies, or if they're aesthetic dies, they take control of the second wind and fly back to the Rock of Brawl and jettison you into the void with two hours of breathable air or less. Dude, that sounds really like a fun setup for for a next time on Spelljammer. So that's nice that there's that little that little snippet because that's a fun challenge to try to survive as players. I think so, right? And um, there are ways around it. I think that um, uh, there are a lot of uh, a lot of really like fun ways that you can kind of expand this module. Is there anything about this module so far that you guys haven't liked? So you have liked like the fast pace. You've liked that there is enough that basically like I've got the main course for you, but we get to do all the side dish preparation for plot wise, you know? One thing that actually um, Slouching Beast touched on as well that I think is kind of weird to have like space galleons and all this stuff mm -hmm. in space, but the weapons are like miniature catapults and ballistas mm -hmm. instead of something that I th that I think would make a lot more sense which would be cannons um I think that that's because they're not determining that you would have gunpowder if you don't want it that said fair enough. the gif exist or the gif yeah that feels like the confusing parts well, and yeah. you can see that in episode one because I actually stutter a few times when we're when we're doing ship combat. And I'm like, oh yes, they have cannons. Yeah. I mean, ballista apparently. Yeah, I mean that that part has kind of thrown me off every every time, just with these ships not having what I think to be yeah. the correct weapons. I think that that's a flavor thing, not not a mechanics thing. I think it's just that they don't mm -hmm. want to say that there are guns. Because some people That's are fair. really against guns in games. Accurate, yeah. Mm -hmm. I but mean, it, I, it could be nice if they included a note, though, or something like that, where it's like, you know, we are including this this entire group of beings in this universe that specialize in firearms. So you you may want to think about including them in your game, and you could switch any of the the weapons on chips out for a, a mortar or a cannon and keep the same stats. Just change the description. Like that sounds slouchy. great. Slouching Beast yeah, just put something amazing just in the said. chat right now. Um, yeah. That uh, they have some cannons, but they're not widespread because the smoke from the fire spoils the air bubble slowly but surely. Oh, and I love, I love that. That. That, is, that is really, really mm -hmm. cool. Yeah, and I I'm think that Wisp, Wisp Sing uh, just put something in there as well, that ammo is expensive for cannons. Um, I don't know if ammo is expensive for cannons, but I will say giant rocks are cheap. So it's, it may not be that they're expensive, but it, the much cheaper option is just to have a living tree huck rocks that you pick up off of a rocky planet. Good point, yeah. You know, rocks are free for the most part. Um, 
It could be a momentum thing too. If once you start firing off cannons in one direction, it's like the enemy is on this side. Suddenly, you start launching the ship sideways in the other direction. That's true, and all the mangonel stones are usually on the deck, so they would just float out into the void. Rather, cannonballs would be inside of the ship, and then it's a bowling alley. Right. <laughs> I, I I feel I feel like that would. I feel like that could also give some interesting flavor for if a player is playing the spell jammer on keeping the ship steady and not. Um, and you know like having to counteract the forces of like that kind of thing happening as well i think that could also be interesting flavor that is really good i think that that could be a lot of fun actually and i'd, I'd say that anyone who is attuned to a spell jamming helm would probably get their proficiency bonus onto it and the way yeah, the way I mean, that i would work that mechanically is, mm-hmm. is what i had you do in in episode four two which is you use your spell casting mod because it's your spell casting that allows you to attune to it so for, yeah. for Cheshire, that's wisdom. And then you would add your proficiency bonus because it imparts proficiency to you, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe there are, maybe you can take expertise in it if you want to be like a hot shot, you know, or something like that. But you would automatically have it as long as you're attuned to it. Uh, and that could allow some pretty cool checks. And then you could do some like space maneuvers. And if you get a space maneuver, maybe all of the shots that come off of the ship have the help action. Yeah, like there's, I feel like there's a lot that could be done that could be really cool. Um, yeah. I think but that's the danger... also really... yeah. No, finish up, Kate. Cut. Oh, um, uh, that that could also just be me as a, a player who really likes characters with, like, with firearms and stuff. I think it works really well, and it, I I personally really like it. Okay. See, I I think a lot of the time what happens is is we're bringing. Like, and I, I feel this happens a lot with D&D because I've been on multi-hour arguments about stuff like this, yep. is when you start bringing physics in, then you have to bring up the peasant railgun and you go, <laughs> physics has no place here. Yeah, okay, ma- it has it on magic. very minimal things, but there there is no physics in this world. Um, And so like, I mean, um, Muselch? might pronounce that wrong um saying i'd love to have more esoteric weapons on ships like a magic missile gun like yeah that sounds super fun um and someone also uh recommended having a like gunner position where like you get proficiency because of that Mm -hmm. um that in we spoke about pugmire um we're doing Mm -hmm. kind of a pirate campaign with that and there is there's ships positions and each position gives you a different knack that like allows you to do things and the gunner is gets um gets proficiency and advantage on shooting the guns on the ship um so yeah having something like that is is in there as well um and and again i feel like this is this is where dnd is going is it goes in this like everyone's doing their own bloody home rules anyway so let's give the absolute minimum because everyone's going to make it whatever they want anyway but i mean yes that <laughs> is there's the other of... direction hmm. that like you spend all this time making this really cool character and then you're like, okay, I can destroy everybody in hand-to-hand combat. It's going to be amazing. And then the gun comes out and destroys the enemy. And you're like, well, you didn't really need me then, did you? That's why the boarding party yeah. thing is way cooler. Yes, it's more, way more fun. Yeah. Yeah. 
And then, so, and there's a, there's an argument in the chat right now, breaking out about physics right now, which is, interesting. <laughs> I, I mean, there should be some, yeah, I think that, I think that we're not saying there's no like gravitational physics or like basic fundamental physics that allow for a narrative to happen, but it's that there, and it's one of the arguments about 5e in general, I think is I had a big problem with it. I, I was, uh, in my shards of Nern, my big homebrew game, uh, the DMPC that travels with the party tried to cast a wall of fire against a wall once to, to block a flying enemy from attacking. And you can't because it specifically says they actually have written into the spell that it must be on a horizontal surface. It cannot be on a vertical surface it has to be on a flat horizontal surface. And I remember back in like three, 3.5 and a lot of Pathfinder, man, the magic was way vaguer before and you could get like they have really done their best to try to knock this magic down so that you can't argue <laughs> with your dm for hours on end which on one mm -hmm. hand i respect but i was arguing with my dm and i was the dm of that game so it was a real frustrating moment yelling at myself <laughs> we're like, what i remember that do it? well i remember that that was amazing physics are kind of like that you're right like you're right like there is it's cleverness right like Hygog said yeah it's it's about the cleverness of it it's like yeah you know what if you can come up with something you're like hey if i do this it's gonna do this fun thing and the physics mm -hmm. gravity would do this or, or if i do this it should light this on fire right like when you want to burn spider webs like that should do additional damage because they light really quickly and like there's there's lots of things that you can kind of argue but mm. at the end of the day, it's like, okay, well, if you're going to sit there and argue with your DM about it, well, you, you shouldn't just accept your DM's rule. And, mm. you know, and as a DM, you should consider like, okay, well, is this going to totally screw up my entire encounter? Is this something that's going to be like really exploited later on? You kind of have to take a second to consider. Um, yeah. But like, you know, as long as you trust your DM that they considered it, trust your dm's argument and just say you know what it was a clever idea i applaud your effort gold star but it's not gonna work and or that's okay the if you want to be a really nice dm like a like a over nice my technique is to say that's really clever it'll work once it'll work mm -hmm. once and then totally. the reality will reset after that and it'll never work again yeah. but you made me laugh so you can do it once it is not part <laughs> yes. of your, it is not yes. a macro <laughs> now you cannot yes. just you can never do this again but yes. once 100%. okay because why not i don't care right yeah it's like and wisp that's yeah. a very very good point is, what, is, what is absolutely 100 percent. Uh, as long as you can help it never argue with the dm while in game if you feel afterwards that you were super cheated and you want to sit down with your dm and say hey guy like you know we, i i really felt like you kind of i felt like i should have been able to do this is there any way we can work this into the mechanics and have a discussion outside of it you're not going to make anyone feel uncomfortable that way mm -hmm. you know you're not you're not pausing the whole game never call you, someone out during them. game like in totally. front of people it just it yep. makes everybody get sensitive mm -hmm. um and oh and i love that buddy i do that all the time and if you think that you should be able to do that as a dm just quick reminder any dm who thinks that it is really okay to to angrily call out or just to assert authority in that method you're kind of just bullying yeah like i'm sorry to say but like that's if you really look at what it is it may feel like you're just asserting your role and yeah. and sh but if you're calling people out in a way that is like finger pointing in the middle of game where they're not supposed to react because you're the authority role Remember, as a dungeon master or a game master in general, you are the person in authority. 
you have a lot more ability to be gracious. Yes. You're the one throwing the party. It's your party. Right? <laughs> yeah. So never forget that. You already have the power. <laughs> it's like DMs who, who really relish in like creating uh, NPC PCs who are the best character in the game. Oh yeah, my, my NPC PC is amazing. He's undefeatable. Well, yeah, because you made him. You cheated yeah. on the rolls because it doesn't matter. It doesn't it, that doesn't make you a better player. You're not winning. That you're just patting yourself on the back. Like I like making DMs really that need tag us, along and screw up. Yeah. Mm, yeah, yeah. The the fact that you know like watch other games I, I right. Um being able to also take, you know, like a minus one on your ability on your abilities because it's like, oh, you know, I, I rolled these and oh yeah, that was the one that made sense to me and this makes sense with the character. Here have a plus have a minus one to X roll. Yeah. And just mm. have fun with it, right? Yeah. Like have fun. It's a game. It's a it, it is surprisingly a game. It's a game. It's a game. Uh but seriously, but if you don't think there are enough rules, come up with some of your own. Get what I would suggest honestly, is take a lesson from real-life pirates. Real-life pirates had constitutions, codes of conduct, codexes, agreements that they entered into. They had a contract for their vessel. Usually, um, they were pretty big things, like how much of a percentage of each cut everybody gets. Ah, oh, yes, the captain gets one-eighth share and the rest gets X share. Um, or um, they're, one of the most common ones were bans against certain actions when raiding towns and things, usually involving women and children. You don't hurt them. Because most pirates didn't, because it was real bad PR. And also, a lot of pirates had families? And a lot of pirates, like, etc. right? That's a different topic. As, as a pirate historian... <laughs> <laughs> who studied pirates <laughs> in my master's degree which is dumb um one of my uh one of my master's guys uh one of my master's professors um was taught by marcus redeker who's like one of the big pirate historians right now and that led to some fun conversations about piracy but come up with a an agreement with the players in your game come up with some quick house rules for spell jammer that you think might be better get everybody to sign off on it everybody cool with this Nice. Put it on a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. They can refer to it. Keep it in the center of the table or in a Google Doc or something like that. And and you don't have to do and like if if something comes up where you do a fight and you're like this was trash and none of us had fun, mm -hmm. remake the rule then. Say, oh yeah, this didn't work. We're gonna try it this way. And mm -hmm. as a dungeon master, be willing to ask for feedback at the end of games, like Spelljammer yeah. specifically, like games that are a little more loose. Honestly, ask. Like, did you guys all have fun? Is there anything that could have gone smoother for you? Is there anything that you want more of? Because you get to fill in a lot of gaps with this module. So take notes and player, it goes both ways. Players be gracious. Dungeon masters be gracious. Theoretically, you're all friends. Like, don't try to hurt each yeah. other's feelings and don't try to, don't go into something looking to be hurt. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. it, it I, I, I know I went through a phase of that when I was first running games back in my like early 20s where like I was I, I get butthurt over easy stuff, you know, mm. and. And DMs hey, under. Mm. Mental mental illness is a bitch. I. I almost cried earlier because I was failing so bad and you were rolling so well because I am just on my way out of a really bad depression spiral. Oh, no. Was that today was, or was that in Pugmire this morning? That was today. 
that was okay. right now. Oh no, I'm <laughs> and sorry. I was like, no, 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 but that's like it's not your fault. The rolls fall where the rolls fall. But I was just I was miserable because my dice rolled bad, and like that's nobody's fault. That's not on anybody. Younger Krista would have been a cunt about it uh but right now yeah well not so much <laughs> it is man i gotta say 5e one of the complaints i have is five for 5e that i think a lot of dms will feel and i think that you players really are are pretty gracious because we have our hurt the more system where the chat can buy me additional dice and additional attempts and things the dungeon master does not have enough damaging power especially in modules no um and it's it's like, oh no, here they, here we go. Here's another fight I'm going to lose. And it's, it's, it's nice to have a couple of times where I'm like, oh, I actually might hurt you, you know, just a little, I'm probably not going to kill anybody, but it's going to be good, you know, uh, without, without doing stuff like killing people and hitting them while they're down to do it. Right. Yeah. Actually, um, I think that's one of my, my favorite homebrew systems <clears throat> that you use on this channel is the hurt the more kind of thing. Cause mm, we, we played an yeah. awful lot of that, that star Wars tabletop game, right. Which has yep. the, the bargain where you can, you know, spend stuff that flips over to the dark side. And now the DM has more cool stuff that they can do. And I love that you bring that into D and D cause yep. I kind of think it needs it. I, the I action economy is not, is not in your favor at all. So for, for people who don't watch our homebrew games and just watch our module games, let me quickly explain this. So in the Star Wars games, you have force tokens that are light or dark side. You can spend them to power force powers or to reroll things, etc. Um, I have brought that into our homebrew games. I don't use it for modules because I try to keep the modules vanilla for people who are trying to take examples from them. Uh, but the way it works is I have a coin on the table with an obvious face up and an obvious face down. Uh, if it is face up, the players have access to it. And if any of them wants to do something, they're like, oh man, I really want to stab him, but he's 35 feet away and I only have movement of 30. I'm like, okay, flip the coin, like flip it to the dark side and you get those extra five feet. You got an adrenaline burst or it was downhill or something. You get that little bit of cheating out of the way. I, or, I love the offer. Or it's maybe so like fun. you just missed, you needed a 19 and it was an 18. Sure. Then it flips to my side, and I can use it for anything I want, including extra attacks and healing. It's way more powerful when I use it, but an entire table gets to use it against me to tweak the rules. So mm -hmm. it means that it, it, it lessens a bit of the tension between you and persnickety rules, especially if you're doing Mind's Eye Theater, where the DM's like, oh, well, you're 61 feet away, and your spell range is 60, <laughs> right? Um... So having having that mechanics really good, I, I recommend a die that is, or pardon me, a coin that is very easy. I have some from uh, Lindorm that are like, they have like a raised d20 on one side. So it's real, real easy. Um, it's a great mechanic to add to your games though, to, to raise tension and to make it communal and to encourage your players to like ask for a for a punch on the chin. Like, all right, give, give mm -hmm. it, come on, do your best, right? Type of thing. Yeah. yeah. I have a question for, for, for you too, actually. Sorry, go ahead, Kat, and then I'll, and I'll ask a question. Please. Oh, I was just going to say, like, you know, especially like as players, knowing, you know, knowing that it's there, it can be like, okay, like, you know, like before you even start what you're doing, it's like, oh, is, is the offer available? Because I want to try something a little bit crazy. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, let's hear what it is. You know, so it, it, it's, it is a really fun system, I think, mm. that does really provide a lot more freedom for everybody to have fun. Totally. Nice. Nice. I, I, I love so, it. I, so give it a try. Tell me what you think. Join our Discord. 
Yeah. What's up? Mm-hmm. What's up? What's up? So I guess for for this module, it's a, there's some stuff that it, it feels like you know, as as the DM, you feel like might be missing, or maybe some like things where you're you're filling in the gaps with your own rules and that sort of thing. Do you think you, there's a chance that you would like mark this stuff down and have a patch that you would be interested in giving people at some point later? To be like, hey, here's the stuff mm-hmm. that we adjust about the setting. Here's how how we made the setting work for us. Like not for like, you know, changing the module around, but for like rule specifications and filling in those mechanical gaps. Because I feel like that could be helpful for a lot of folks to be able to go, well, I'm running this thing. Um, it doesn't really give me enough information to figure out what the heck happens here, but what did Dork Tales do or how would Dork Tales do this? Because that could be mm-hmm. kind of cool to like at least have the the appeal to authority of at least another DM did it this way. The little stamp of like <laughs> this guy does it, and he gets he gets a couple bucks a month to do it. Yeah, sure, the professional. Well, at least it's, you're you're not coming up with it for the first time yourself in the middle of it. You have a reference of at least how someone else thought through it. I could I could do that. Um, I think I could. Yeah, I could probably do something like that. Um, once once I have some more free time, I think that'd be fantastic. Um, yeah, and I'm not always... I'm not specifically asking you to do it. I don't feel like you have to. If... I'm just curious if it felt like something you you would be inspired by. I or, could absolutely. Or I could absolutely. Necessary put that up on our patreon or put it up on uh drive through rpg mm. or, or dm's guild as a pay what you want you know cat i think we need to make those rubber bracelets wwdtd <laughs> well, what, what would dork tales do <laughs> yeah, what would dork tales do wwkd and then it kind of just looks like you missed typo to the j oh my god <laughs> oh. oh my god wwdtd yes um so let's go through the individual chapters and let's talk about what we liked and disliked about that okay so chapter one uh astral rain is as the adventure opens the characters are going about their daily business in a bustling coastal settlement uh they suggest that you start it in like uh i don't know usually toril is what they've been going with for fifth ed. We decided to make our own little town and set it. Um, I like to bring my homebrew world into every module in some way, just to be like, yeah, it's as it's as official as yours is. Shove it, you know. Yeah. yeah I put exactly. I put it at the beginning of Curse of Strahd. I put it at uh, the beginning. Was that? Which light? Put it which light? By the way, uh, you missed it, but Isaac made an appearance in the last episode of Shards of Nern. Oh really? They're in a place where there's a there. It's a giant treasure vault, and they've got like curiosities from everywhere. And in one, uh, Robin reached into a cupboard and pulled out a snow globe that was Rime of the Frost Maiden inside of it, and she shook it up, causing the snowstorm that almost got them killed in episode twenty or so. And later, they uh, I forget was it was it Cat or was someone was running through and grabbed a miniature. Oh, what was it? It was a, it was the miniature walking in and like, like the, the, inn oh the yeah, the that was me. Yeah. That was you. So it's this inn with feet. And like, as your character's holding it, the door opens and this albino lion walks out with a cup of coffee. It looks up at this giant elf girl and goes, you know what? Nope. And goes back inside. <laughs> <laughs> goes back to his, his true love, the soap bubble. Back to the suit, true love. Uh, so bring your own stuff in as much as possible. Like, have fun with this. Have reoccurring characters on vacation in this seaside town. You know, I I threw in, if you were very perceptive, uh, in chapter four, uh, one, I threw in uh, Gristlegrit, Larkinzel, and, um, and, uh, and Flame in there as a little throwaway. If you know those characters from our, our charity games, uh, they somehow ended up in space. 
Thanks, Amy. I mean, it, obviously, right? Obviously. Um, so the way the book starts is you start off, literally, the flavor text goes like this. Your adventures have taken you to a coastal community where fishing boats do this and this. Next paragraph. Um, you are just finishing your midday meal when there's a loud crash. That is the beginning. That That's like this far apart on a page is you start the adventure, the astral blights descend. That is how quick it is in succession. That is, if you ran this module as written, it it would be 30 seconds into the start of the game, you would be in the conflict that we started at about two hours into ours. Okay? Mm. Uh, so that means I, I, that we I are 200 times it's, slower. It's you What you so, love? <laughs> I love that yeah. for new DMs. Because it's like, you know what? If you aren't a table that's comfortable with having to improv and having to do things, and you just want to get to the, the yeah. action, perfect. It, it's it so is... much easier to fill in bullshit than to take it out. It, it is. He did a great is. job introducing our characters, though, yeah. and the fact that yeah, uh, I think you, so. you, you kind of focus on one character, and it's like, tell me about your crew, and then you would cut over to each of the other characters. Yeah, exactly. It, it made it awesome because, like, you're relaying the story through some one of the other characters. So, yeah. I mean, it could be truthful, it could be not truthful. You know, it it was a great way to introduce everyone. Well, thank you very 100%, much. Hundred percent. Yeah. The that's intros good. are awesome. Yeah. Um, so that that's the entire beginning of the game, though. Like, you're immediately in combat. I think that, Krista, the only thing I would argue with there is it's a really great way for new DMs. I do think it's a bit brief for people. So I, the complaint I see is, like I said before, if you are a performative, like, game master, then, yeah, it's it's fine. Like, you you can you can fill in the gaps. And if you've got a table that really likes to chew the fat, that's great. But if you are someone who likes crunch, it does go straight into this. And there's not much. Like, I think that, honestly, a crunchy table could get through this module probably in... There's 12 chapters. I'd say six to eight weeks at the most. Yeah. Be mm. Because they could, you could chain this together. Like, um, if you're one of those tables that plays for 12 hours straight or eight hours straight, you can get through an entire three-chapter part in one sitting. If you don't have role play. Yeah. Um, so the way this goes, you immediately fight your way down. You either go to the docks or you try to run away. Um, you deal with Travis or a Travis or you don't. Uh, and the possible endings are the moon dancer. Uh, you help the moon dancer take off and you fly away, which is what you guys did. The alternate example is if the characters don't make it to the docks, Captain Sartell reveals her identity to Travis and negotiates a deal with him whereby she takes command of the moon dancer in exchange for delivering them to a safe port. As soon as they set sail, Sartell orders the ship to take flight and rescue the party. Travis and his thugs are too stunned by this development to interfere. Whenever the character, whatever, uh, wherever the characters happen to be, Sartell finds them, which I love it when modules say that, where they don't argue, they just, well, no matter what, that character is there at that time through some happenstance. You don't have to, mm -hmm. the, the characters don't have to know it's off camera, right? Mm -hmm. And then it goes, a great shadow falls over you. You look up and see a mighty galleon floating in midair. It sails ruffling in the breeze. A rope ladder tumbles down from the ship's side to hang mere feet above the ground and a face appears over the side of the railing. Need a lift? asks a sailor you met earlier, which is also a good way to do this. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. I do th 
I do think if you have a persnickety argumentative table, there is a third ending that really sucks uh, that some players likely have set up, which is the, I run away from it. I run away from it. I run away from it to everything. Um, And then the ship shows up to help you. And you're like, I run away from the ship. I don't trust her. If you're a player listening to this video, and that is the choice you would do. You're not making it more fun for anyone, including yourself, are you? Aside from Scooby-Doo your little rules. giggle fest. Explain Scooby-Doo rules. Oh, your Scooby-Doo rules. Um, Scooby-Doo rules. Uh, if you ever watch Scooby-Doo, you notice that Shaggy and Scooby run away from problems. Okay? You are able to run away from any problem. If you play a coward, you must have a Scooby snack. There must be something that another party member can do to cancel your cowardice. Or that the DM can do. You must have a Scooby snack. A really easy one is to have an attachment to a braver character and be like, well, zoinks, I'm not going to let Tana go in there by herself. Zoinks. You should not. She will die. She will die. 100%. Yeah. Now, mind you, if all hope is lost and you're obviously going to die, if you're up against something like a gazebo, then run. Obviously run. Yes, obviously. But always have Scooby-Doo rules. Or... Underst- have an agree- there are two ways that you can do Scooby-Doo rules. The other one is to have an agreement with the GM that if you run away from a problem, you expect to be dropped right in the middle of a worse problem because of your cowardice. That That's what I was thinking with that. Mm-hmm. Was like, oh, you ran away from this problem? Yeah. Welcome to Hurt. Yeah, yeah welcome to Hurt. <laughs> you are now being hugged by the mummy and the mummy's going, Arr! and now you're married. Yeah. Oh, great. And now you're a parent because you married a mummy. Oh, no. <laughs> it's awful. Goodbye, all my subscribers. Uh, mommy, sorry, sorry, mommy. Yeah. Hello, mommy. Um, okay, so chapter two. So in chapter one, you guys liked it. It was streamlined. It was good, and we got to play around a lot. I thought the blights could have used a little more differentiation. I made them more borgy because originally mm-hmm. they're like silent little raw, and I made them the whole like your light will be added to ours like type of thing. Because I, I was like, let's play with tropes. Let's have fun. Okay. Yeah, I thought I thought they made them more interesting for sure. If they if they didn't come with any of that, and it was just like mysterious crystal dudes coming after you, that's not. They gotta do something. They gotta do something. Yeah. They they cannot talk normally. I added that because it was fun. Okay, uh, so chapter two, you are on the Moon Dancer. You are aboard the Moon Dancer. They make a big point of you meeting Flapjack, and if you exclude Flapjack from your chronicle, your campaign, or your game, you're a bad dungeon master because he is the best character. <laughs> I'm joking, if in case you can't tell. Uh, but please, please include Flapjack. Look at him. Look at him and tell me you don't want him in this game. He's so precious. He's so in, precious. In every, in every game you can, include a Flump. Um, also, don't forget that Flumps can't talk. They are telepathic. I forgot that for the first, like, 20 minutes of his appearance. And then, because I was having, I was having too much fun speaking like a Flump. <laughs> which just... <laughs> It's so much fun. Maybe that's uh, even... the noise that it makes. It's wiggling in your brain. Ah! Right, yeah, you know how it is. Um, all right. So uh, from there, you you learn about space. It's a great little exposition chapter. Then you get attacked by elves. Okay, so some things that I changed up in the elf fight. So the elves show up and they board your ship and they're like, hey, we're here for trouble. And we want you to surrender to us. Um, originally, the the priest of the ship does not come out. He's not written to come out. He exists, but they don't assume that he comes out. I wanted to give you guys more of a fight because you rolled these guys because my dice were so bad. 
So I decided they were going to come out. Uh, the Hadazi that were working over there were not under a good deal, we'll just say. Uh, so they were very willing to switch sides. Um, and besides that, um, there's a lot of stuff here about... Honestly, one of the problems I have the most with games is that there's often, and something that came up in, in the earlier game, uh, 4-2, was capturing people and asking questions. So why are you fighting us? A lot of times you just mulch people, and then afterwards you're like, probably should have asked him who he was. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Why are the elves coming after us? Are they the baddies? Are they the baddies? And it would I seem. Think I think that your elves, they must be British because that's just, that's the law, right? They must be British. <laughs> Perhaps you could make them German because they're very uniformed and they're very space villain. So you could, you could definitely have the elves showing up like this, which is also good. It has to be very creepy. Um, but those are the approved accents from corporate. <laughs> you don't want them to be Roman, just full empire? Yes, but if you remember correctly, a Roman accent is a British accent on film. <laughs> it always is. <isn't laughs> Unless you're Russell Crowe, and then it's like a fake American accent. Yeah, exactly. Oh, no, 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 no. He used a fake is... British. Yeah. Well, because he's Australian, glory, right? So it would have been fake. Yeah. It was, it was a weird accent, but it worked. Um, and then, it, it, so you, it's mostly a talkie. So episode two is mostly a talkie uh, with that ship battle. And then um, there is a fun bit here where if travis is on board with you and if the moon dancer um uh, uh if you go over to the moon dancer travis will try to steal the ship from you while you're off ship so if you have brought him aboard the moon dancer and then you board the uh the elf ship he'll try to to mutiny and take it and just fly off while you guys are fighting so so that's pretty good um i like travis he's a dick and i think you need more characters like that um i'm a little sad that captain sartell leaves you so early um but yeah. there are a lot of really good npcs that were written in this module that you haven't seen yet like commander crux um like akin to commander crux because you have met him some characters that show up in the next two sessions are some of my favorite module characters i've ever read and that's, they are the reason, them and Flapjack are the reason why when people complain about Spelljammer, I'm like, Light of Xerxes is okay, actually. Like, they, it's really hard to quickly write character into a character. But all you have to do is put a jaunty hat on a flump. I know that character immediately. Done. <laughs> all you need to do is be like, he's a washed up, drunk hippo man who with a colonial hat. And I'm like... Oh, yes, I understand exactly how I should speak as him. Well, and this is exactly what I was saying about, like, this This feels like a more classic story. Like, the streamlinedness yeah. of it, the, the bop, 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 bop. It's Star Wars. Everything is archetypical. Exactly. It's like, you know this story. I mean, and when that is done Gordon. well, it's, yeah, that, there you go. When, when you know the story, the story, it, like, it, as long as you're not just there, there, there's a very delicate balance between doing like an archetypical story where like you know what's going to happen mm. and ripping things off and just redoing a story and thus far this has felt archetypical but it hasn't felt rehashed yeah 
I, I think so, right? And um, and yeah, no, like you can make Crux a, a drunk veteran with PTSD and very sad. I took him a different way where I made him a drunk with PTSD who drank himself to stupidity. And it was a very jovial person at heart. So he he's a he's a jovially stupid drunk. Um, but under that, it's because he's piled pillows on top of his angst. And as yeah. soon as that comes mm -hmm. out, like he will you, you saw bits of that. I tried to have that come out when Tana yeah. was revealed as an elf, and he's like, Oh, give me one reason why I shouldn't blow you away. It was so Yeah, good. I thought that was good. I yeah. love that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, now, here is, out of the first chapter, the first part of the book, here is my big problem, and that's chapter three, The Treacherous Salvage. That is the one where you come alongside the Mind Flayer vessel, the Nautiloid, you board it, and you have a bunch of half-hearted dungeon crawling. I think it's the weakest written part of it so far. Um, I think that you're going through these ships and you're exploring but there's only three fights in it three or four one of them is a quagoth in the basement which kind of is off in his own room that you probably wouldn't go into unless you force him out like i did um another one is that you get convinced to go over by a surlon uh, like a worm person that is completely um able to disguise themselves as the person like, oh no my brother is injured please help me um and uh, they don't say his brother in the module. I was like, he needs to be more believable. If I just say, oh, my crew was injured, it sounds fake. But it's like, my brother, hurry. It sounds a little more authentic. Get help. Yeah. You know? Um, and while you're inside of there, he leads you into a trap. And, and you have a big fight, right? Now, here is my problem with this module is that they set you up for two things. Number one, he le either leads you into a trap with a bunch of other worm people where they try to kill you and take your stuff. Or he leads you down to where there is a Nethagu, which is a, a spider, crab, creature that absorbs brains into itself to make itself smarter until it gains the magic number of brains, which will surprise you how many that is. And then it goes back to its own realm of existence and has babies. And that's its entire <laughs> lifespan. Okay. So looking at this... I was like, so this is what this thing looks like, okay? Like, it is not handsome. And it, so it, you, this is actually my favorite part of the entire thing. And it's the only part of it that I think that you should be really prepped for going in. Because the rest of it's really stock standard, a little boring. As you go inside of there, um, you see there are a bunch of dead Neogi nearby. There are a bunch of dead people nearby. And the mess hall has this Nethagu, Nethalgu, uh, that was being kept as a pet by the Mind Flayers. And evaded the Githyan key using its invisibility spell. Because a bunch of Gith raided this place and took all the good stuff before you got there. Um, and uh, which kind of sucks for players because there's not much loot. There's not much cool shit to find. Um, that's why I wrote in an Intellect Devourer because I think they're hilarious. Uh, and then accidentally uncovered the fact that Plasmoids are Mind Flayers <laughs> and Mind Flayer Adjacent's <laughs> greatest enemies. They're the Mongoose to Cobras. For, for mind players and intellective hours because i was like oh yes i'm going to take control of my plasmoid and then it doesn't work because they're not a humanoid or have a brain so i can't use half the things that i want to use and it was the greatest it was the greatest moment of the entire oh. game where i was like you're just immune to everything and i can't stop it this is wonderful um 
and, and then they ate the brain and then they ate the brain sometimes you have to laugh sometimes mm-hmm. you just have to laugh yes um so you go up to this Nathagu, and if you approach within 10 feet, the Nathagu calls out for help in common, begging to be freed. It pretends to be a human pirate named Jasper Graves and claims to have been tap- trapped there by aberrations that murdered the rest of the crew. It knows that the Sirlons have killed the other pirates and warns the character about them if they haven't already discovered for themselves. If the characters ask Bonotto, the fake Sirlon, about that story, uh, Bonotto d- dismisses it as a fabrication, explaining that Jaspar is a brain-devouring abomination aberration. I had prepared a scene where they were going to be like, no, he's the monster. No, he's the monster. No, he's the monster through a door. <laughs> I try to convince you, right? Uh, but you had already killed Bonotto by the time you got down there. And he, so you just called out and he's like, um, can you help me out? And then you're like, yeah, we'll help you out. And he's like, oh. <laughs> It sounds like there are five of you out there. That's quite a few. And you've <laughs> defeated Sirlons already, you say, which means you're probably quite tough. So I flipped through the book, uh, so Boo's Astral Menagerie. And I like to do this whenever I am ha- playing any type of smart monster. Um, I flipped to their section, um, and I went, okay, cool. What do I need to know about these things? Uh, like from a cultural standpoint, just a nice quick look. And I look at them and I go, okay, they're pretty strong. They're pretty tough. They have an intelligence of 12, which means they're smarter than a lot of people I interact with on a daily basis. They have a wisdom of 11, which means that they're not likely to cross the street without looking at least one direction. And they have a charisma of minus two, which can be chalked to the fact they are hideous. Right? So they are also chaotic neutral. They are not evil creatures. So they are sentient, chaotic, neutral creatures. So when it found out that you guys were tough and it killed the Sirlons that were trying to kill it, it immediately was like, hey, uh, how about we make a deal? Because uh, I looks may be deceiving. Um, <laughs> right? And, uh, and it worked. Uh, and you guys became friends. And I think that that makes a better story. Uh, not not, yeah. not necessarily becoming friends, but the option of becoming friends <laughs> with something that looks like this. Yep. <laughs> right? It's so good. Yeah. Like it, it really feels like something they put in there to be like, it's an inevitable combat encounter with maybe this cute scene yeah. before you get into the inevitable combat encounter with it. Uh, and I love yeah, how you played exactly. it where it's like, let's not, you know, let, let's not judge each other on appearances. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like when when you know you're ugly. So, well, and the best part is, is like that coming to all of us that when we built characters for Spelljabber before we got the module, we all built Spelljabber characters and then found out we don't start in the astral space. <laughs> we start on a normal planet. And we're like, okay, I guess we'll all just be misfits. <laughs> we were just right? a land of misfit toys. It was great. It was I, so I mean, it's even better that we like we identify with Jasper. <laughs> Yeah, like, I mean, after that whole thing, it was like, okay, well, how does my character come into being? You know, and it's like, well, we have a fantastic artificer in, in the world of Elos <laughs> that, I mean, he was young once, too. He probably made some stupid things. Exactly. Stupid thing? Just just make a companion bot. Oh, God! 
right? Yeah, literally. <laughs> but this is that is that is something actually you bring up, Krista, that is really, really critical, is that a lot of people are gonna have this. They're gonna grab the Astral Adventures Guide. They're gonna make a crew that consists of special races that are only found inside of here. They're gonna create a party that is an Astral Elf, an Autonome, a Gif or Jif, a Hadozy, a Plasmoid, and a Thrykreen. Which is I hate that word. I always think thy thy in my head. I thought it was uh, keen. Thrykreen. It's like it's cream. It's cream. At least well, I, I thought it was like a three. Three like cream. Three I don't even know. Bug people. Uh, so they're gonna that's do all of that, it. and then they'd be like, "And now we set our adventure at Candlekeep." And it's yeah. like, <laughs> "Are you kidding me?" Because Candlekeep's right next to the ocean. You could do it there, or it's in Waterdeep, or something like that. And yeah. Um, yeah. So be aware of that. You can you can do a nice easy one where it's like, "Ah, oh, yes." Uh, since being marooned on this planet several months ago, you have been stranded here and have found friendship with the locals. Or you could do the whole, like, ah, oh, yes, yeah, space is bigger than it is. Maybe you're an orphan. You all grew up at the same orphanage, right? Um, you could, you could as well, actually, uh, Mukletch, Mukelch, Mukelch in the chat says that you can make them part of Sartell's crew already. Or that they were hired oh, hands and they're on shore leave. So that's also good, because then you go back and, and they're not like, really in the captain's crew they're like hired hands so that when uh they're on shore leave or the the only thing with that is you have to make sure they want to stop planets from being devoured because yeah. if they're like whoo mm. glad we got out of here huh uh let's go work for the astral elves they seem to be winning you know it's a much different, <laughs> yeah. much different it has to be that. like at least one of their home planets yeah have it be the character with the high charisma score or the big the big eyes um, I want to talk about the problem that I have with this module, though. So I, I do have a big problem with Spelljammer Light of Xerixis, uh, and that is this, okay? This is a pain in the ass, okay? Mm, yeah. Because um, as it stands right now, as a Dungeon Master, uh, during the last episode of my homebrew game, I had 21 books out because I I was running off random charts to see what would happen because it, it, it was a nightmare scenario and I did it to myself. However... That was somehow easier to run in many ways than this is with three books because I am constantly jumping back between three books and multiple places. I always have at least five to ten tabs open on a side browser while I'm running because the modules are trying to cut down on print space so they're not repeating a lot of rules. Even just a quick reminder or, or more page numbers or more references is, would be really nice. And while having the book separate is not a bad thing necessarily if you have the table space for it. Uh, streaming, it is a pain in the ass to have this many. Because I've got like mm. my keyboard, I've got, I don't have everything around me. I don't really have much space. Having it in separate books is really good, but the rules are too spread out. And you, I don't you know. know what's That's funny. Just, hmm. I, I'm fully going to blame the merger of 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 wizards buying because it's what they do on fucking magic cards and it has been the worst part of learning how to play magic i've like i've just picked it up recently um mm. and i'm like what does this mean there's like a word on here what does that mean and my partner who's teaching me is like oh it's this and i'm like how am i supposed to know that yeah. and mm. you have to have been playing for 20 years i'm like cool that's real helpful yeah you gotta go to the wiki you gotta go to a wiki or something like that to learn it and i think that like 
I really do like the quality of these. The page stock is amazing for a modern role-playing book. I thought that Free League had the best like paper stock in a book. They don't. It's it's this it's this. Listen to this, okay? Oh. That's how thick it is. This is thick with three C's. Like <laughs> every time I'm flipping through here, I'm like, there's no way this chapter's only four pages. It's thick enough to be ten in another book. The quality's really nice, and it allows them to charge twice as much for one book worth of writing. And I think that that's a can great you business like, model. Can you flip that page again? Because I'm like trying to discern whether it's an 80 pound or a 100 pound stock. <laughs> here, here we go, listen. <laughs> I think it's 100 pound. <laughs> I think it's like, Nerd. it's honestly, it is is thick as hell. Does it ever say that inside of the copyright page? It doesn't, what, right? I can tell by paper? I can tell by feeling it, but uh, it, yeah, like, by, like, here, here's sound. an example. Okay, look, watch the screen. Okay. I just bent it with full strength and look how much it sprung back. Yeah, that's that's gotta that's, be it. That's at least it, it didn't even leave a mark. I bent the page and it's fine. I love it. Yeah, it the looks like it's probably closer to a hundred. You've been the getting a bleed with? Hmm. Sorry, there's yeah, it's it's a full bleed. It's it's a beautiful book. But it's not. Oh, no, no, yeah, Wisp, Wisp says they're getting ink bleed. Are you actually? Yeah. Oh, weird. Oh, no, I haven't had any of that problem. <laughs> and my my. Uh, so for a running game, uh, I have not also had any transfer. So if you look at one page from where I've highlighted things, there is no uh, highlighter bleed to the other side as well. Which yeah. is, I cannot say the same in Call of the Nether Deep, which has like the highlighter will go through the page at times. Like it will in cheap textbooks, right? Mm. Um, Wild. I know. I I like it, I, but having three separate books is a lot to juggle. I feel like a I don't know. I would have liked it a little more streamlined somehow, or I mean, maybe it'd be easier on D and D Beyond. I just feel like it's everything spread a little a little wide. Maybe that's just me complaining. Um. And maybe having three books is the best option because if it was one book, I'd just be jumping back and forth in the same book over and over and I'd be pissy about that. But when they uh, reference like another rule, do they say like see such and such book or such and such page right yeah. there? Or do they at least have an index at the back where it's like go see wherever? So when it's a monster, they have. Um, they have like it bolded like swarm of insects uh and if it is not in the monster manual benoto is a surlon ringer see booze astral menagerie a page number would have been nice but okay cool it's alphabetical yeah. i can look it up pretty quick um but it's for little rules i, I guess it my biggest problem is not so okay, you know what here, they here's do my that, problem. right why they they do that because they expect you to get the full set of all the books and if you don't have the full set of all the mm -hmm. books then you're oh. like, okay, I don't know what all these rules are now. So it, uh, it's to eliminate like selling copies of the books after market. So the, um, mm -hmm. the thing is that you can't buy these individually, Mike, for these. It comes in a three book set only. So they're able to charge twice as much. I think this I have no problem with. I have no problem with having the the module and the monster manual separately because then you're like, ah, oh, yes, of course. But it's when you have to have the base rules for the system on top of your player's handbook, it just feels like book bloat. But in the future, all those books need to remain together. Otherwise, any one of those books is not going to be helpful to anyone. Oh, I see. Like if yeah. you find 
if you find one in a thrift store, you're going to be like, oh, this was like an awesome oh. book back in the day. And now it's completely useless because it references other books. Hmm. Interesting. As opposed to making it one giant book that has everything in it. People are upset that I'm writing in my books. As, as a book collector, <laughs> if I find writing in my books, it's it's top-notch so, because it's individualized. Yeah, it's, it means something. It meant something it, to someone. It's, it's been loved. So here, here are the, here are the two things. Page. So for, for those of you who are upset that I write in my books, I only write in these books. I only write in my modules. I don't I don't usually write in margins of any books. It's true. I do it for two reasons. Number one, uh, I was all the way through Rhyme of the Frost Maiden, and through that book has more than 400 plastic tabs in it because I was not highlighting it when I finally went, screw it, I can't afford to keep buying tabs at this rate. Um, <laughs> but two, now I have something that when the module's done during our charity streams, I have something that I can raffle off that can be signed by the cast, and uh, you can get a full copy with everything highlighted that I think is important. So you already have your prep work done. It's all like you when do... you got the textbook in class that someone had written all the answers and stuff in, and you were like, oh. <laughs> I, I actually have in Call of the Netherdeep specifically annotated portions that says Dorlin failed this. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. And, and things like that just to make it just to have little notes for whoever gets this eventually. So um, That's awesome. yeah, if you want a copy of it, hit up our, hit up our, uh, our charity events. Um, we'll see about it. that. Um, so um, we're going to wrap up in a couple minutes, but the last things I wanted to say is that, yeah, it's a little, a little bit, a lot to handle. I think Mike, the, the planned obsolescence is pretty interesting. Um, and uh, it's rough. And Overall, I think Spelljammer, The Light of Xerxes, so far is pretty good. I love the way it ends. Um, I hope the middle stays as good. And mm -hmm. um, I really, I hope that it stays fun. Now, we had one question over in the Spelljammer Facebook group um, that was um, asking a question of how you do levels and long rest because it's milestone XP. Uh, and there are two methods of doing this. The first one is that when your characters get a long rest, that is when they level up. So when you achieve a milestone, you don't level up until then. That can be a little difficult because the milestones in these books are basically as a chapter. So um, you, you level up uh, for the first bit, you level up uh, to level five, uh, at the end of, or pardon me, at your level five at the beginning of part one, your level six at the beginning of part two, and so on until your eighth level. Uh, the part two ends with you getting to the Rock of Brawl, or part one ends with you getting to the Rock of, Rock of Brawl, uh, and that's a good place to level up. You guys rest on from from the uh, the Nautiloid until you get to the Rock of Brawl. Cool, done. Um, uh, at the next chapter, do you get... I'm just going to check there real quick. So... There is a place where you can force a long rest at the end of uh, part six. Um, basically, you just you wait for something to happen, and you can be like, okay, can we get a long rest? Um, I would do... Um, I would do it like that and just give it a long rest. Or you can do what I do in games, which is a little more complicated, um, when I know that we can't stop, is, all right, folks, you level, roll your hit points. Add those hit points to your current hit points and your total hit points. 
If you got 10 more hit points at this level and you had 50 hit points left, you now have 60 hit points left out of 200. Okay. Um, you then gain all of your spell slots. You gain everything, but you don't have access to them until you long rest. Um, if you are someone who gets things on short rests, maybe you get them then and you just work it through. You come up with a method that works for you. Um, that is if people level up inside of dungeons, which I do not recommend. I recommend uh, honestly having it so that you only recommend, you only level up when you have time to rest and reflect. Um, if you can level up around a pivotal event, wreck uh, is a great example. Wreck should go train to level up. Like, he should go have an anime montage where he's punching trees and stuff like that. Um, Francis should go pray away, pray away the gray uh, in his hair and once again add some just for thems uh, to to freshen themselves up. Uh, Tana they should... They don't have hair! Not, not visibly. Um, I mean, Cheshire needs to commune with nature or the stars. Tana, warlocks are one of the ones who just your patron like FedExes you some on a level. Yeah, basically like, all He's right, like, you know what? Worthwhile investment. Universe planar services. So you get like a, a starlit <laughs> tentacle opens out of a box of nowhere. And just, are you Tana Starbell? Sign here, please. <laughs> Sign no, here. I've got, I've got a message for you. Your eyes only. Unholy power. Just the Skyrim courier. Just the, yeah, I've got a message for you. It's just the sky. It's literally just the Skyrim courier. Um, it's so. Is it a briefcase? And you open up and a golden glow comes out of it, and you're oh, and no one knows what's actually inside of it. That is, yeah, that is absolutely true. It's just it's your soul or diamonds or something. Uh, Wisp Singh asks, can you give me some ideas on how a sentient psychic moss colony? how to use a sentient psychic moss colony my group my druid grew for now i'm planning on killing their treant of the ship and having moss take over the treant's body that works that yeah, sounds great I mean, that sounds pretty rad actually mm -hmm. why don't you just awesome. you could also I mean, I would use say, that also sounds like a great villain to you know accidentally <laughs> lose control over and to take over a ship that you fight like depending where you're oh. at in the module Moss uh, also likes be... being in the dark areas, so have it get into mm -hmm. all the stores and eat up all the food and water and stuff like that. Uh, Mool levels up by getting angrier or eating things, Amy. Amy's asking in the chat. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> so if you have that, that sentient moss table, you actually have a bypass for one of my problems with, with player killing people. Because what if the moss spores get into a corpse and then bring it back to life and then exposit all of the things that they were supposed to know had they interrogated the body? Because the moss is in its brain, and it's like, ah, oh, yes, the astral elves are attacking because of this. What else did you learn? Not much. The brain rotted. It was delicious, but I got I got their last thoughts, which were of these plot details. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. I'm going to keep this body for later, uh, and then use a use a blight or a plasmoid stat line for the moss. <laughs> That's the best typo. <laughs> You have to eat more Brian's. You have to eat more Brian's. <laughs> <laughs> well, as I always say, Eating the more Brian. The brain is a is a chunk of bacon fat inside of your head that named itself and made a typo because it thought it was Brian. Um, Correct. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. Uh, so anyway, folks, that's what we have for this how to run. I would suggest talk with your players, come up with a bit of backstory, have some fun with it. The characters are on a wild adventure. So definitely have weird stuff. Play the Star Wars card, have strange music, have weird food in space. Um, invite new sense, sights, sounds, and uh, species into their lives and, and have a lot of fun with that. And then the last thing that I want to tell you is that if you haven't heard about it, I'm not sure if it's just on Spotify, uh, but there is an entire album called Spelljammin', J-A-M-M-I-N, that is available, and it was written specifically for Spelljammer, that is available for you to use in your games. And it has, I think well, actually we're allowed to use it. I think it's open access for anybody to use, even streaming. Nice. Um, but it's got like Magic mm -hmm. Sword, who were the guys who did uh, the Thor Ragnarok trailer song on it. And it's like, it's prog rock to really get you in That's the mood. So, so check it out, Spelljammin'. Um, and it's, it's free to use. So, or if it's only on Spotify, then it's not. But I think it's on YouTube as well. So yeah. have some prog rock in the back of your games. It will, uh, it'll really help. <laughs> I heard if you uh, play that album while uh, simultaneously watching The Flash Gordon from the 80s and you turn off the volume, <laughs> it actually merges fairly well with the entire story. I mean, I might so be you... confusing albums, but I, I'm pretty sure that might be a thing. <laughs> that is exactly. ridiculous. You actually, it uh, may be. Should we oh. skadoodle? I think we should skadoodle. So, folks, take care of yourselves. There's a link in the chat right there if you are watching us live. A Nerdist article. Just look up uh, Spell Jam and Soundtrack. Uh, and you can find that. It's got seven songs. One is called Love is the Disaster. And one is called Space is a Place. These are good <laughs> titles for things. Very good uh, titles. <laughs> uh, so, uh, folks, Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. We'll do another one of these after chapter six and after chapter nine. Nice. And after chapter 12. Um, and uh, with that, thank you so much for everything and for watching. If you like what we do here, please be sure to like, subscribe, smash the bells, uh, and uh, join the Patreon if you haven't already at patreon.com slash dorktales, where you can join the likes of our world-building uh, world building patron, Shulton, our divine producer, DM Michael Gray, our demonic producers, Soul Omen and Bracarius, and uh, our princes, the Patreon, which are, of course, Terran, Amberthist, Aeolus, Cubby Gummy, Trizelta, Buddy, and The Traveler. And uh, with that, thanks so much. We'll see you around, folks. Next time we have some Space Jam, I guess. Delicious. Or, yeah, spe spell Jam. Oh, man. I could <laughs> I could have made like a Only Space one Jam man spell would Jam thing. Space jam. Use your secret, your secret stuff, yeah, Mike. Um, <laughs> goodbye. Oh, everybody. I got to make a t-shirt graphic now. Oh. <laughs> we'll yep. see you next time. Rex secret Bye. stuff. The Reign of Emerys is a Dork Tales production. It stars Christine Rattray as Claudette Belmont, Amy Godfrey as Leiden Ann Marov, Caitlin Vinkel as Talfrin Prideri, Robin Holford as Ivy, and Katrina McGee as Veritrix Soulstar. Its dungeon master is Kelly Clark. Our opening theme is Resolution by Alexander Nakarada, and our closing theme is Find Them, also by Alexander Nakarada. For a full list of the music used in this episode, check the show notes below. To learn more about the world that Reign of Emerys is set in, check out our wiki or visit our Discord where there's plenty of information to go around. Thanks for supporting this podcast. If you like what we do here and would like to help Dork Tales grow, leave a five-star review, share us with your friends, and leave a comment below. 
And hey, while we're talking about people who support Dorktales, I'd like to take a minute to thank all of our patrons at patreon.com slash dorktales. Starting with our Patreon producers, our world-building producers, Shulton and Jade, the maker of monsters, our divine producers, DM Michael Gray, the great and powerful, and uh, my mom, and I guess my stepdad, Bob. Our demonic producer, Bricarious. Our fun, but evil, Funkel. We love you, Uncle Marty. Our wizard of the Patreon, Tammy the Forever Cleric. You're a wizard now, Tammy. Our princess of the Patreon, Taryn, the original Dorktales fangirl. Dustin, our time-traveling buddy from 1977. Trizelta, aka James Bododge. Cubby Gummy, Amberthist, The Traveler, Raven with Baubles, Karasha Urquhart, Drew Thompson, Sergio, Chef Eladeth, and Larouk. Our level 20 hero, Mike Eilat, the graphics guy. Our level 10 heroes, Nacro, the Straw Hat Devil, Hans H. Boundahoof, Professor Multiverse, Snowy323, Adam Bomb, Tabitha Rudkin, Chandra Magic, Prophet of Woe, Draconis Majers, Dodger Lakers fan, Jamal Cheatham, Renee Hayes, Spork Saber, Sorcerer Sanguine, Colin Son, Iron Warrior X, Danica Rising, Voidweaver, and Rufio are very important patrons who donate five or more dollars per month. An actual guinea pig, Dale Cope, the eternal student of life, Camille, who may be six possums in a trench coat, Evan, longtime listener, first time patron, Jason Tudor, the mayor of Icewind Dale, Krista Mitchell, the CGFX engine, Rio, but without the OZ, Robin Holford, the wine master, United Adventure Company, S.M. Pace, Hillary, Matt D.S., Eric and Amber, Evil, Tommy Kiyama Svensson, Olivia, Joe Abad, Red Monk, Stormshanks, Jacob, Random Equinox, Uncanny Kate, Dazed Apricot, Ray G., The Bongmaster, David Ellis, Jeremy Smith, Lockjen, Slurm, Slouching Beast, Graham Rudkin, Frankenax, Paula Chino, Chris Deeds, Malazang, Jacob Shinji McDonald, Laura Arasmith, Sean Oldham, Mashmakan, Just Andy, an insomniac veterinarian, Marcel, Loscrack and So Honorable, Bryn Hawker, Whistler, DM Shari, Gaming Hyperpanda, Stuart Tiffin, Mr. J's Comics, Ethereal Ashy, The Dixon Three, Al's, Bartold, KC, Eduardo Garcia, Tyler Saunders, David Carnan, Fally Pally, Waffle Rabbit, Eric of Norse Foundry, Robbie Dick, Parker Radborn, Caitlin Vinkel, Brandon Keane, Walter Manbeck, Wordsmite 12, Diggy Diggy Blog, Marcos Olguin, Ardrick, and Chris Kane. And finally, our Dork Squad. Jen Peters, Daniel, Brent, CTRSTY, Hayliz, Patrick, Zach Rules, Ace Emmett, Renee Anderson, Britton Williams, Ava Hernandez, Jacob Embury, Catherine Petricelli, Kathleen Halperin, Robin Barton, Judith Steen, Orion the Scott, Heavy Metal and T, Erica Lena, Kayla Haynes, Shannon McLean, Oni Yuri, Cade Green, and Stephen Pearson. If you'd like to hear your name at the end of these episodes and get access to exclusive perks, feel free to join us on patreon.com slash dorktales. Dorktales survives on the generosity of our patrons, and I can't express how grateful I am to each and every one of you for your support. Thank you so much, and thanks to you for listening. If you want to reach out, you can find us on the Dorktales Discord. We hope you join us, and we'll see you in the next episode.